Rinkwide Vancouver. Vancouver Canucks defeat the New Jersey Devils 6-4 at Prudential Center, but oh man, did they have to work for this one and sweat it a little bit right down to the final stages. Bottom line is a victory. They bounce back from the 2-1 loss in St. Louis in game number two of this seven-game road trip. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's brought to you by Betway. Jeff Patterson joined on this episode by David Quadrelli of Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation. And Dave, we have a lot a lot to talk about because uh, really for 45 minutes, this was one of the better, more dominant performances from the Vancouver Canucks, but they left the door open just to touch and this understaffed, undermanned New Jersey team without Jack Hughes, without Timo Meyer, without Dougie Hamilton, they lose Jonas Siegenthaler uh, as this game went along and they kicked the door wide open. And as I said, they made the Canucks sweat there right down until uh, Dakota Joshua sealed the deal into the empty net. Jeff, we were this close to coming in here and having to talk about the Canucks getting PDO'd. <laughs> like, is this how every team that the Canucks faced in the month of October felt? Because, oh my goodness, yeah, they dominated. They thoroughly dominated through 40 minutes of play. But, yeah, obviously New Jersey came storming back uh, in the third period, though. So, yeah, it was it was very, very close. We were very close to having to talk about the Canucks getting PDO'd. Uh, but in the end, they come away with the victory. Yeah, but they had to kill off a late power play. And in fact, it was Dakota Joshua that takes the penalty, an offensive zone holding penalty that probably had Rick Tockett. Well, if he had hair, he would have been pulling it out. But I guess that's the one benefit of uh, going with the slick ball style that he does. Doesn't have to worry about the hair necessarily, but he did have to worry about the Devils getting a power play goal to tie this game. Canucks able to kill it off. Dakota Joshua steps out of the penalty box and he and JT Miller play give and go. And ultimately, Joshua with his 10th of the year. And at that point, the Vancouver Canucks, and by extension, their fan base, could exhale because uh, I'm with you. I, I was thinking about what are the storylines going to be here because, uh, again, the first period, as good as the Canucks have looked in a long, long time, I know Rick Tockett thought uh, that first period against Ottawa, and they had a 5 nothing lead, but the Senators are in disarray and in a free fall. This Devils team on home ice, a better team, even minus the, the players that uh, they were. I just thought the way the Canucks controlled that game, the way they came out, the goal overturned, unfortunately, for Brock Besser. Thought he had his 25th of the year, but the coach's challenge. That was about all that the Devils had going for them through 40 minutes of play. You know, let's get into it. Lotto line reunited. You wonder what uh, took Rick Tockett so long when they struggled the other night in St. Louis. And he didn't go down that road, but felt that there would be some changes coming. Kuzmenko got back in the lineup. Uh, certainly we'll talk about his night as the podcast goes along. But let's start at the top of the lineup, the top of the scoring charts for the Vancouver Canucks, because the big boys came to play in this hockey game. Uh, JT Miller with a pair of goals and an assist. Elias Pettersson, two goals and a helper. Quinn Hughes, three more assists in uh, the Hughes Bowl that was lacking Jack, but uh, Quinn put on a show. I thought uh, the first couple of periods, again, as assertive as we've seen him in quite some time. And when those guys are going, uh, the Vancouver Canucks are going to be a tough team to beat. Quinn Hughes, I looked at as being a well-rested Quinn Hughes, but Jeff, I think you're far too modest because I haven't heard much victory laps from you yet because on Friday's episode of Canucks Convo, you and I were banging the drum. We were talking about the lotto line and oh my goodness, like we were talking about it in the context of the St. Louis game, of course, and how you need some offense from your top six. The lotto line came out in their first three shifts. Obviously, the second shift of the game, they score the goal that's taken back, but their first three shifts, they create a five-alarm chance that's more chances than the Canucks created in all of that game against the St. Louis Blues on Thursday <laughs> yeah. night. So no kidding, the big boys came to play and they did it all game. Like they actually, if you go back and look at their shifts, uh, 
each shift that they had to open the period, the lotto line either scored or they came ridiculously close to scoring on each of the first three shifts that they had in each period. So not only did they win their matchup, they handedly won that matchup. And hey, like that's why I'm making jokes about they almost got PDO'd because they were so good tonight. They were so good. And if the Canucks hadn't come away with that victory, I, I wouldn't even have had answers for that tonight. Almost criminal that they left the first period in a scoreless tie. Now, credit to Nico Dawes. Uh, getting an opportunity, uh, was called up from Utica, that's the Devil's Farm team these days, uh, right after Christmas, and he had won his first two starts, so he takes uh, his first loss of the season here. The shots in the opening period were 17-5. to five. The shot attempts at all stages, all game states, 31-8 to eight in favor of the Canucks, and that just tells you sort of how one-sided, how much of that first period was played in the Devil's zone, and to the Canucks' credit, no pouting, you know, they take the break, they come out in the second period, and as you said, just stormed the Devil's net and got it right this time. Pedersen is 16th of the year, 41 seconds in, nifty deflection, Hughes to Heronic across the blue line, and the shot was tipped by Petey, so they're on the board, they open the scoring as they do in so many games, and then uh, that line just kept the hammer down, JT Miller, you know, it wasn't a clean shot necessarily, but Jonas Stegensthaler was hurt on the play. Man, was he in a world of, of distress. But, you know, the Canucks recognized that, and they just kept the pressure on, and eventually the puck gets to Miller. It banked off him. I'm not sure if he actually got his stick on it before it went into the net, whatever it counted. So two goals, three minutes and 33 seconds into the second. But wait, they weren't done yet. Uh, next shift for that group, JT Miller made no mistake uh, this one. There was no doubt uh, as he fired one into the back of the net, uh, again, set up by Pedersen and Cole. So 3 nothing at that stage. Who knew that uh, the Millers were going to sort of be the story of this hockey game? <laughs> Not just JT, but Colin Miller with his first two goals of the season. So I look at my notes, Dave, and it's nothing but Millers all over the place. Two for the Devils uh, and two for the Canucks. JT Miller and uh, JT with the assist on the Dakota Joshua goal as well. Was on the ice for five of the six Canuck goals JT was. So as we said, the big boys came to play, left their fingerprints all over this hockey game, but... When Elias Pettersson scores to make it 5-2, to two, two minutes into the third, like, home and cool, put your feet up, start to turn your attention to a bigger challenge on Monday at Madison Square against the Rangers, maybe they did. Maybe that was maybe they got distracted. <laughs> I, a little daydreaming, whatever the case, you'd like to see the Canucks be able to close out a game a little easier than this one. Quite frankly, let's be honest, and I know you pay particular attention to goaltending, needed some saves in this one, Dave. An 840 save percentage for Thatcher Demko on the night. And that's what really stands out, right? Is just that, I don't know, Thatcher Demko has looked fine. And hey, let's let's give him some credit. There was that save in the first period. Like, the Canucks could have left the first period. You know, we said it was criminal. It was 0-0. They could have left that period down by a goal. There was a couple defensive breakdowns uh, uh, late in the first period that could have put the Devils on top. And Thatcher Demko did make some really solid saves in this game. But it's almost like, What's going on with the Oilers this year where it's like, okay, there's a time where you need a save. Like the Canucks needed some saves late and I think he he provided them with some, but that Colin Miller goal, especially the second one is the one that I'm kind of pointing at here is you've got to have that if you're Thatcher Demko. Like that's one where, you know, he's able to get set. He gets to see it for the most part. And that's just that's just a save that to his own standard, he makes that save nine times out of ten. And that's just one that he needs to make. The Brennan Smith one, the last one for the Devils, obviously, I think that was more on the defense in front of Thatcher Demko. But 
still like you you want to see him making some more saves. It's just not the level that we're used to seeing from him. But hey, like maybe there's something to be said that the Canucks can go out and get the victory on a night when their goaltender doesn't have his A game. Is it concerning? I don't know. Uh, I don't think I'm there yet, but I, I am definitely at the stage where you say, okay, like Casey DeSmith should be starting this next game. Like at least that's where I'm at. Yeah, except it's the Rangers, and they're at the top of the Eastern Conference. It's Madison Square. It's one of the great stages. Uh, the Rangers play Jonathan Quick in Montreal. They're resting Igor Sesterkin. They know what's coming. It's the Canucks, and you wanted to believe that it was going to be this battle of two of the top goaltenders in the National Hockey League, but I'm with you. I think Rick Tockett has decisions because uh, they're back-to-back now, Rangers and Islanders. They're going to split those regardless, so we'll see where it goes. Are you concerned? You said you're not there yet. Look, I think I've been a little bit ahead of the curve here of late, pointing out the fact that since December 1st, Thatcher Demko is running with a sub-900 save percentage, and there's this broader talk around the National Hockey League about him being the presumptive Vesna Trophy frontrunner at the midway mark. Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, an 899 save percentage uh, over a long stretch, that's not going to get it done. Now, he does continue to pick up victories, and I do want to take a moment here to salute him. This was his 100th win in the National Hockey League. That's a great, nice, round number. It moves him past his old buddy, Jacob Markstrom, and uh, he's just going to continue to climb the ladder. So congratulations to Thatcher Demko, 100 NHL victories. But Connor Hellebuck is just putting on a show in Winnipeg. Like, there is just no way that Connor Hellebuck hasn't moved to the top of the charts, regardless what the, you know, saves above expected, the, the win totals, and all that type of stuff that Thatcher Demko has to this stage. His job is to stop pucks, and quite frankly, too many are getting past him. Four against Dallas, four against San Jose, four more here. I thought he was good in St. Louis the other night. They they kind of squandered a, a solid performance, but I saw people poking holes at the, the winning goal by Robert Thomas. There was a big league snipe, uh, but still, in a one-all tie, you, you'd like to believe that uh, there was a save to be had there. There wasn't. So... Uh, Were there breakdowns in front of him? Absolutely. Like, it's never just on the goaltender, but if we are looking at a guy who wants to be among the elite in the National Hockey League, then his play has slipped here, and I do think it's fair to at least point that out. There's half a season to go. He can rally. He can get back to this. We saw it, and we've seen it in stages, right? Like, you think of the month that Bruce Boudreau took over for the Canucks. He was the second star of the month of December in the National Hockey League. Like, it wasn't a game or a week, it was a month. The bubble, obviously. But the question with Thatcher Demko is, can he do it for an entire season? Two years ago, he got hurt, and part of that was on the organization for running him into the ground and overplaying him. But I do think the question remains, it's a long season, it's a, it's a grind for everybody, and that's the one thing that he hasn't shown yet. Again, they're winning hockey games, they won this hockey game. So it's not, you know, five alarms by any means, but... Without a doubt, the numbers would tell you there has been slippage in Thatcher Demko's game since the start of December. You're right. And, and I'll propose this to you, though, Jeff, because when we talk about star players, and look, I don't want to turn this into a Connor Hellebuck versus Thatcher Demko thing, but no, no. I did have to look up Connor Hellebuck's numbers. And you're right. Like recently, Connor Hellebuck's been the best goaltender in the league, but. Through seven of Hellebuck's first 11 starts this season, he had a save percentage below 900. So it's a long year year and and there's a lot of, um, I I don't know, I think with goaltenders, especially in this market as well, 
with star players, players go through stretches and everybody knows there's going to be off months. There's going to be off weeks. Like, look, I hope that's all this is for Thatcher Demko, but you are certainly correct that if you, if you keep playing sub 900 hockey for more than a month, you're probably going to take yourself out of that conversation. But Hey, as we've seen with Hellebuck, if you do it for just a month, you're still, you still got a chance to be right there in the conversation. And Hey, honestly, you brought up the most important stat to most goaltenders is wins. And Thatcher Demko is still getting the Canucks wins right now. And I'm sure that's what matters most to him. And you're right. They ultimately, and he's part of the penalty kill that bent but didn't break. Uh, I know the Devils fans wanted the five on three, JT Miller. You know, again, you're putting the refs in a position. Now, Luke Hughes goes <laughs> airborne there, and there probably was a little bit of embellishment, but it's bang, bang. The referee's got to make a call, and JT certainly reached in already down a man. So that would have been an incredible turn of events that didn't happen that way. And Canucks kill the penalty. They win it by a score of 6-4. to four. Their 25th victory of the season, they're 25-11-3, up to 53 points on the year. And even with that, Trudemko giving up a few more goals than you'd like, as a team, they're 9-2-2. Two in their last 13 hockey games. Like, how do you argue with that? You don't. It's just that for the first time in a long time, I think the bar is being raised here. And I'm okay with that because the bar has been too damn low for for far too long. They did what they had to do to get a victory here. They'll uh, get an opportunity to to tighten things up. But these next two, the Rangers and the Islanders, uh, back-to-back as the road team, those are going to be difficult for the Vancouver Canucks without a doubt. All right, a bunch of other things that I want to get to. Connor Garland... That was such a huge goal to me because I thought that kind of nipped the Devils' comeback bid if there was one, right? They make it a 3-2 hockey game in the final minute of the second period, and Connor Garland, 12 seconds after the Eric Holla goal, puts the Canucks back up by 4-2, and I thought, okay, there's your cushion. Again, it's going to be easy. Credit to an understaffed Jersey team for not going quietly, but man, Connor Garland uh, with the wraparound, I thought that was going to be a huge goal. And how about this? I know we do the stat that stands out on every broadcast. I got another one. Connor Garland had two goals in his first 33 games. He's got three in the last six now and has scored it back-to-back. He had the only goal the other night in St. Louis, and he's up to five goals on the season. Again, you'd like that total to be higher, but uh, can't knock the effort, the energy that he brings, and ultimately starting to find his scoring touch. He's got two goals in the three games that he's been wearing a net guard for. That's that's what I I take away from it. He's been wearing a net guard for three games. He's got two goals, and you better believe he's never taken that thing off. And hey, well, hang on. It came out of Christmas. They played four since Christmas. Oh, I thought he had... Okay, excuse me. I thought he had it on New Year's Day. I got my holidays No, no. I think we joked it was a Christmas gift. I don't think it was, but but he had it (laughs) in the first practice after Christmas was when it, it first appeared. Okay, so two goals in four games. My yes. point still stands. If the company <laughs> yes, wants does. us, if they want a <laughs> spokesperson, you get Connor Garland to go there and be like, look, I can still play with it on. And yeah, in, in all seriousness, just that goal was just a momentum shifter, right, Jeff? Because if you go into the third and you are up by a goal, but the Devils are storming back and you know they're storming back, the mindset of the players is completely different than if you go in with a two-goal lead. And hey, maybe that mindset uh, ended up hurting them when uh, the Devils came pushing in the third period, but that goal just, it does so much for the team. And, And the fact that it comes with just 12 seconds left, no one was expecting it. Like, no one was really expecting that. It's kind of the garbage time of the period. And Connor Garland, individual effort, right? Like doesn't give up on the play, doesn't give up on the period by any means and just does it himself. And that's, look, we've been seeing a lot of that from Connor Garland uh, at five on five through his Canucks tenure, but especially right now with the line mates that he's with right now, you know, just his individual efforts have been so impressive. 
So that line, again, stayed intact. And I thought Rick talking had a really interesting and instructive answer prior to the game. He was asked by Ian McIntyre about how has he resisted the temptation to pad the top six with the one line that has been so good and so consistent for him. And he talked about that and he said, like, I tried to go to Joshua down the stretch last year, higher in the lineup, didn't really work for him. He said, Connor Garland in Arizona, you know, he said, Garland's, Garland's at his best when you give him a role and ask him to play that. And so even though Connor Garland has scored 20 in a season in the NHL and, you know, makes close to 5 million bucks, talk it's kind of, I mean, of all the guys, talk it's coached him twice now. Uh, he should have a pretty good read on him. And so I thought if you you can go back and, and hear the answer yourself if you look up the, the talk at pregame on Canuck Social. But I just thought it was really interesting. And again, I appreciate Rick talking so much in that regard that if you ask him a question, like he'll give you the answer and his rationale. And I thought, again, it just, it helps, you know, form a better understanding of what he's thinking there behind the bench because people have been screaming and we were screaming for the lotto line. Uh, and we, we got that, but I know people have wondered too, like, well, you've got this guy who drives play, like, you know, couldn't Garland play higher in the lineup and talk? It's like, no, I'm going to keep him where he is. Uh, and again, it's working because that line, uh, played well. Teddy Bluger had a great chance, uh, in the slot all alone in the slot, uh, midway through the second period when it was three to one, it was in a little tight to him. He didn't get a lot in the shot, but you know, it came off the result of good work down low. And really when you look at the lines tonight, okay, we've kind of gone over what the, the lotto line did. And I love the feed from Besser to Patterson on his second goal there early in the third period. So uh, we really haven't talked about Brock other than the, the goal that uh, we thought started it all got overturned. But uh, still, Brock Besser figured in the scoring there. And then you get the third line that's really their second line. And so a new look line lower in the lineup, and that was Pia Suter back in the middle with the Russians, Mikheyev and Kuzmenko. And uh, a lot to unpack here, David, because Andre Kuzmenko, I thought, had terrific jump. Now the whole team did the way that they played. So, you know, he wasn't alone in that regard, but you know, six shots on goal. What have people been saying? Shoot the puck. Like, you know, he's not a volume shooter, but when he's in position, we know that he can be dangerous. And that rush that he had down the right side in the second period. And I saw you sending a little love to Noah Jules and let's get that out there right here, right now. Cause that was a great headman pass as the devils tried to make the long line change. And Kuzmenko moves in right shot down the right wing you know, and I thought there was some authority on that shot and Nico Dawes makes the save. But I, what I liked in that sequence was no quit in Kuzmenko. He stays with it, goes over the boards, a little shake and bake. And then the pass through the slot on the stick of Nils Amon. Uh So Kuzmenko, six shots on eight attempts on the night, plays 14 minutes and 44 seconds, which is, you know, a whole lot more than he played against Ottawa the other night. And this is a game that didn't have much power play time for the Canucks. So, you know, 14-44 is a relatively healthy amount of time. But... And you knew there was a butt coming. Didn't see the ice after the 5-4 Devils goal. Was parked for the final 7-06. Replaced on his line by Sam Lafferty. And so games get tight. Coaches trust. The leash still isn't all that long for Andre Kuzmenko. But overall, the benching notwithstanding, uh, I thought there was a big step in the right direction for 96. Team leading six goals, as, or excuse me, six shots <laughs> on wishes, goal. But <laughs> six shots on goal, excuse me, uh, tonight. And I think that was what interested me is that those shots didn't come from the perimeter, right? Like like the, a lot of those shots came from in good spots in the middle of the ice, in the guts of the ice, as Rick Tockett likes to call it. And look, in St. Louis, like, there were very, very few Canuck shots that came from the guts of the ice. And for Kuzmenko to get as many as he did tonight, like, 
that's what I think is going to bode so well for him. And yes, he gets the benching in the end. I just, I, I really hope and I don't think, I don't think that was a result of his play on the final goal. I know he was on the ice, but in my mind, when I go back and watch that goal, uh, it's Ilya Mikheyev and P.S. Suter that are just too low. Like you can't have four guys down low and one guy up top. In my in my mind, Kuzmenko is the only guy that's where he's supposed to be. Maybe you want to see him make a slight adjustment because the other two guys are down so low in the slot. But I just thought those guys were too low. You you can't back off, and that's something Talk had spoken about recently. Is just like we can't just keep collapsing, collapsing, collapsing until right. we're in our goaltender's crease because that's what happens. Like that's what happens. You leave the point shots available. You you cause a lot of traffic in front of your goaltender. And yeah, again. Yes, he gets the benching. I don't think, and I really hope it wasn't because of that. I really don't think it was because of his play on that goal. Although, of course, as you pointed out, it did come right after that goal. I think it was more so just like you said. Uh, you you want to lock down that victory. We know the coach doesn't trust him in those final minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's my read on it as well. It, it wasn't the goal in isolation. It was just, it got a little dicey and Rick Tockett feels that he's got other guys. And and look, Sam Lafferty, like we saw him, he played higher in the lineup the other night. It didn't work for him, you know, but he does have a role. And, and if his role is seeing games out and playing shifts late in games, like there's value uh, in a fourth line guy that can can step in and do that. And, and Rick Tockett likes the way that, you know, straight lines for Lafferty and physical and trying to separate guys from the puck. So again, I, I thought fairly you know, overall, pretty much a, a full team effort. But as I like to say here on Rink-Wide, like, yes, they win and they've got 25 victories and it has been an unbelievable season. But, you know, we break it down from all angles. And so, you know, it wasn't a perfect game, not by a long shot. And, you know, which line was on the ice the other night in St. Louis for the winner? It was the fourth line. It was Nils Amon and Nils Hoaglander. Now, Linus Carlson was in the lineup and on that line the other night, Carlson came out to make room for Kuzmenko. But for all the good of the top line and the higher in the lineup guys, uh, I thought this was uh, an absolute uh, carnival for for Nils Amon. Uh, he and his line mates out there for two of the three late goals, and then on top of that, uh, the goal the other night. So you know, if you're Rick Tockett and you're looking around and you're trying to figure out, you know, these goals are coming off the rush and guys that are not picking up the trailer or the you know, Tockett always talks about the guts and getting guys to the middle of the ice to to take away the the most dangerous position out there. Uh, you know, we'll see if Nils Amon stays in the lineup because Carlson right now is the only other healthy forward they've got. But uh, it, it, to me, it hasn't been a, a banner couple of nights for, for Nils Amon in that fourth line. All I ask is that if you're going to take out Nils Amon, which, hey, I think that's a totally valid thing. Uh, look, minus two, that entire line, minus two on the night. And look, you pointed out uh, a lot of the issues kind of started with Nils Amon's play. I didn't think it was a great game for Sam Lafferty by any means, but if you're going to take anybody out, you want to get Linus Carlson back in for whatever reason, you put Sam Lafferty down the middle. You don't take out Nils Hoglander. You don't take out Andre Kuzmenko. Don't don't make that same mistake again. Look, talk has gotten a lot of praise and for good reason in this market. And I think we all kind of pointed out one, one thing that didn't make a lot of sense was taking out Andre Kuzmenko for Linus Carlson. And look, they didn't score. They didn't score in St. Louis. And I really, I really don't think um, that if you're going to get anybody back in this lineup that Linus you, you don't need to be banging the drum for Linus Carlson to get back in no 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 sense. and that's not my point like and and quite frankly you're going against the Rangers one of the top teams on Monday I would expect that Amon stays in but he's got to be better he just has to be better and he, he, like he had some scoring opportunities in the first period he had a great chance right up the middle that bounce that came to him and then we talked about the the Kuzmenko 
you know, again, you see the struggle to produce offense at this level. If he's not going to do that, then he has to defend better than he has here the last couple of games. Young players still learning, but uh, if the Canucks are going to go where they want to go, everybody's got to be pulling on the rope in the right direction. There were a lot of moving parts prior to this game as Carson Soucy was activated and he returned. We learned about Nikita Zadorov, Phil DiGiuseppe, the long-term injured. Want to get to all of that. Uh, of course, we'll get into the room and hear from the coach and players. And we've got our three-star selection, the stat that stands out, uh, some listener feedback. So we've got a lot still ahead here, but right now it's time for our Betway Bet of the Day. And as I look at the NHL menu on Sunday, we talked about those Winnipeg Jets. They refuse to lose these days, and they give up next to nothing. Connor Hellebuck had the night off the other night uh, in their win over Anaheim, so I assume that he'll go back in. It's old Winnipeg against new Winnipeg. The Jets are in Arizona the Coyotes are the underdogs here, but uh, and, and I, that's not unexpected, but maybe they rise to the challenge. There's some value there in the Yotes. You can get them at 220 on the money line. That's your Betway bet of the day. Must be 19 years of age or older. Please, please play responsibly. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks defeat the New Jersey Devils. It was the Hughes Bowl, but uh, it was minus one of the key Hughes brothers uh, for the Devils, certainly their leading scorer, Jack Hughes, and the Canucks took advantage of that. Uh, Oh, we learned after the game as well, Jonas Siegenthaler, a broken foot on that play when he couldn't get off the ice, and so resulted in the Canucks' 2-0 goal, and that's another blow for a New Jersey team that is certainly running into some injury problems as they try to climb their way up the Eastern Conference standings. But the Canucks did what they had to do. They beat them by a score of 6-4. It's Jeff and Dave with you. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. Carrying on as we break down this 6-4 Canucks victory in New Jersey, the second stop of the seven-game season-high, seven-game road trip, lost in St. Louis, and they bounce back. And, you know, we'll get to the stat that stands out a little later on here. Dave, one of the things that really stands out, this isn't the stat that stands out, but it's, I mean, it's just, it stands out because the next game will be the 40th game of the season for the Vancouver Canucks. And with the win here tonight, they have ensured that they're going to reach the 40-game mark of an NHL season having lost back-to-back games twice. Twice! Like, their response has been so good in not allowing losing streaks to take hold here. I mean, it is one of the reasons that they are where they are in the standings, but like that is incredible that they're going to get to 40 games, and even if they lose against the Rangers, uh, it'll be, you know, losses in two of the first three on the road trip, but they got this win here against the Devils. Back-to-back losses early against Philly and Tampa, and back-to-back losses against Calgary and Seattle in the midst of that hellish 10-game in 17-night stretch where they just didn't have it uh, at the Saddledome against the Flames, and they came back home, and they weren't a whole lot better against the the Kraken. But, I mean, that is remarkable consistency. So I do salute the Canucks on that. We'll have another stat that stands out, but that one certainly jumps out at me. Yeah, I mean, it kind of speaks to this team's ability to not let things spiral, right? And that's one thing they really try to focus on on the ice. I know we talk a lot with talking about uh, compounding mistakes and how if one guy makes a mistake, well, the next guy can't make a mistake and we need to be able to hold down the fort until that guy is able to get back and that sort of thing. But, you know, it speaks to the team's consistency. It speaks to their ability to not let things spiral out of control. And the one for me 
and I hope this isn't your other stat that stands out, but 22 and 0 when leading yeah. after two periods. And it kind of speaks to the same thing. And I find that one interesting as well that, yeah, they don't give up much when it comes to losing multiple games in a row, but also protecting the third period leads. It's night and day. Those two stats to me, those night and day from the team that we saw last year. Yeah, no, I mean, the fact that they've had a lead 22 times and that they are perfect is remarkable as they near the midway mark. All right, uh, we always like to hear from the coach and some of the players. Uh, You'll hear from JT Miller and Elias Pettersson momentarily, but Rick Tockett and his thoughts on what he liked in a game that felt like it might be getting away from his hockey club, but ultimately they pull it out with a 6-4 victory. I like the grind. I mean, what I love about it, yeah, we gave up a couple of goals, they got back in, and then we had to kill a huge penalty. And we with 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 sort of the the storm there. So to get the two points after killing that penalty was big. You know, it probably gives some guys some confidence. Yeah, there you go. He talks about withstanding the storm. Uh, it's important. And now Jack Hughes didn't play, but the Devils, by the numbers, have the third best power play in the National Hockey League. So you give them a power play in a one goal game with three minutes to go. You're you're playing with some fire there. So the the penalty killers didn't have to kill a lot in this game, but sometimes it's when you have to kill. And credit to the guys for getting the job done. In that situation, uh, obviously, they should have had a bigger lead. They should have been in a little more comfortable position with three minutes to play. We know how this game played out. And we've also talked about the fact, and we're going to get to the three stars here, and chances are pretty good that these names are going to pop up. But let's hear from JT Miller getting back with the familiar friends up front. Uh, People have been calling for the lotto line to be reunited. We've seen it in spot duty, but not from the start of a game. And uh, certainly uh, worked out well for the Vancouver Canucks. You know, it's been a while since uh, we got a couple shifts out now and then together, but I mean, none of the goals were uh, were fancy. Like, they were all going to the net, making plays. We had net people driving the net to open up plays, and you get rewarded sometimes. And you know, it's funny. You think of all the skill that's out there, and look where Miller and Patterson are in points in the league, and Bessler in goals, and. JT's not wrong, though. He said nothing fancy, and there there really wasn't. It was just, it was hard work. It isn't always the biggest guys in the world, you know, standing on the ground in front of the net. Uh, you got to be willing to go to the to the areas, and Elias Pettersson certainly on his deflection, but also uh, on the JT Miller goal, Pettersson doing his part there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, kind of fundamentals, the staples that we always hear from Rick Tockett. I thought uh, when your best players are doing that, pretty good chance that things are going to go your way. I was talking with you about this as well. I thought Elias Patterson was like instrumental on all of those goals, right? I highlighted yep. it on Twitter uh, the box out on Miller's. I think it was Miller's first goal. Yeah, um, it was. The box out there, really instrumental for JT Miller to be able to go score that goal. And obviously the second one, uh, Patterson makes the cross ice feed to Miller for the one-timer. Miller makes no mistake. So, hey, I'm not trying to take anything away from JT Miller. I just thought that this was also a good game for the conversation surrounding Elias Pettersson about his struggles at five on five. And really like this is what happens when you put him with players who think the game at the same level that he does. And that's just something that haven't been able to do this season. Yeah, it, uh, it looked good. And I would have to think that uh, we'll see more of it. Uh, here's Elias Pettersson just being asked uh, about the reunion uh, of Miller Besser and uh, himself. Um, I think, I mean, just us playing hockey, obviously we've been playing a ton uh, back in the day, um, so just trying to work hard, make plays, and uh, yeah, be reliable, reliable for each other. You know, and, and sort of echoing what JT said there. Just uh, he says reliable, and I think tonight, uh, you know, it's been a while since they they played together. Uh, what do you think, old Travis Green was thinking there on the other bench as he looked over and like, I'm the guy, I'm the guy that put the lotto line together, 
Uh, and now the Lotto Lion is coming back to, to torch me. So Green got his measure of revenge back in December when the Devils rolled through Vancouver. But he's seen that act uh, a few times from those guys when they're put together as a line. I had to bring it up. I'm sorry. I have to bring it up. The tweet from Hans on Twitter, I saw it and he said, as soon as I saw Travis Green pull out the whiteboard and start to draw something up, I knew the Canucks were winning this one. And I just, (laughs) it was just, it made me laugh so hard, but (laughs) tough, tough crowd. And hey, you know what? Travis Green's the mastermind behind the lotto line and he's the mastermind behind the third best power play in the National Hockey League. Sure, he usually has Jack Hughes at his disposal, but yeah, I don't know. I I, I like Travis Green. I don't want to, I don't want to come in with the Travis Travis Green hate, but I did find it funny that all of that was happening at once. You talk about the lot of line, the camera goes to Travis Green. It was it was poetry. It was it was cinema. He was sitting there telling the Devils players, when I was in Vancouver, uh, I had Marcus Granlin. He went there. I had Tim Schaller. He went over here. You know, <laughs> don't do any of those things. Just you know, whatever. Uh, let's get to the uh, rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection. And uh, usually we're able to kind of go off script a little bit from the, the stars that are selected in the building, but we're going to hold form here. How many Millers can you stick in the three stars? I guess that's the question. And maybe Keandre's sitting there waiting his turn on Monday uh, when JT comes calling. But go with Elias Pettersson for the reasons that you talked about. The goal, the sort of spark plug, it gets the Canucks on the board first, and then he's instrumental. Two goals and an assist on the night. Uh, Miller had... JT Miller uh, had two and one as well. So JT's the second star, but I think, uh, you know, for the reasons you just talked about uh, for Elias Pettersson, whether it was figuring in the scoring or some of those smaller things that led to goals, uh, we'll give him the nod as the first star. Uh, JT Miller's the second star. And who would have picked Colin Miller to score his first <laughs> two goals of the season? He's not Jack Hughes and he he's not going to replace Jack Hughes, but uh, hey, good on him for uh, stepping up in the moment. The one-timer that made it a 2-1 hockey game against the run of play. The second one was uh, the one that we talked about. Uh, you know, a little bit of shoddy defensive work on the part of the Vancouver Canucks, but they all count and good for uh, Colin Miller. He gets two, he matches JT Miller, but uh, in the end... The Devils get three other four goals from defensemen. Only one forward, Eric Halla, his goal making it three to two in the late stages of the second period. So there you go. Two Millers and a Pedersen in your three stars as uh, we continue to roll along here on Rinkwide. Uh, we'll get to our stat that stands out, the real one, even though we threw some numbers at you. Uh, some listener feedback from our social channels and a thought or two on the next opponent, the New York Rangers on Monday as the Canucks take Manhattan. But in this one, they took New Jersey by a score of 6-4. to You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. This was the start of four games in six nights, all part of the seven-game road trip for the Vancouver Canucks out of Jersey. Uh, they'll go back to Manhattan. They'll take on the Rangers on Monday, the Islanders on Tuesday, and then they move on to Pittsburgh to take on the Penguins. So, uh, you know, there's some challenges ahead uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, and they'll want to tighten things up defensively, but uh, they'll pocket these two points, win number 25 on the season, and uh, away they go. Uh, I I mentioned earlier, Dave, it was a fairly meaty day on the the news front for the Vancouver Canucks because Carson Soucy was activated after missing 23 games with the foot injury suffered in mid-November in Montreal. He gets back in the lineup. Uh, We wondered when he got back in, whose spot was he going to take? And we kind of figured it would be Noah Juleson, but little did we know that Nikita Zadorov uh, playing through something. He was out there late because we mentioned the fact that he was uh, the net front presence when they were looking for the equalizer in St. Louis. So who knows exactly what the Canucks not tipping their hand here uh, 
not believed to be terribly serious, but enough to get Nikita Zadorov out of the lineup. Carson Soucy returned, and in order to make room for Soucy on the lineup or in the roster, uh, they had to put Phil Giuseppe on IR. And it was a question of, you know, is it just IR? Is it a week or is it more? We learned out that he's on LTIR, which is uh, 10 games or 24 days, essentially. PDG is going to be missing through the All-Star break. We still don't know the nature of the injury, but, uh, you know, that's tough luck for him because he got back in the lineup the other night and was playing in the top six role, and now uh, he's going to have to sit and recover here. But uh, let's just start with Susie. What did you think? He picked up an assist on the Connor Garland goal, but didn't the second assist there didn't do a lot of heavy lifting, but uh, finds his way onto the score sheet. But uh, what did you make of Carson Susie's return to the lineup? I see four block shots for him. I thought he played well there. Like, I, I thought he was good on the defensive end. I think the one area where, and look, this is expected, guy returning from injury, right? Hasn't played since, I think, November 12th was his last game. Yeah. Um, a little slow moving the puck was the main thing that I noticed. Uh, but hey, like, all in all, this was a good game for Carson Zuzzi to return, right? Like, you talked about how the Devils were a bit shorthanded. I thought he played well, uh, given the circumstances. Obviously, it's going to be a tougher test on Monday and Tuesday, so that'll be kind of what I'm watching for more closely. But no complaints about Carson Zuzzi in this one for me. It, look, he was blocking shots. He was getting right back after it. Another thing you see when guys return from injury was sometimes when they are coming back from an injury that they sustained because they blocked a shot, as Zuzzi did. I know he had yeah. his back to it, but still that was a puck that went off him four block shots that's the thing I noticed the most uh doesn't seem like he's skipping a beat in that department no and look, stylistically there are probably easier opponents to come back against the Devils are a fast team they like to open it up and for a guy that's coming off a foot injury but he's been practicing essentially since Christmas and uh, we knew he was close uh plays 20 minutes and 19 seconds uh, gets the assist as we said a little surprising, five shot attempts. So you don't think of him as a guy that puts a lot of pucks on net, but uh, the Canucks were doing a nice job of getting to the front of the net. We saw a couple of deflection goals and rebounds, and then the, the four block shots jumps out at me as well. A minute and 39 seconds of penalty kill time. So, you know, the Devils only had the two power plays, but Carson Soucy heavily involved on the penalty kill for the Vancouver Canucks. So back in the lineup, uh, you know, part of a winning lineup as well. And and uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, they're going to have some options here. And, uh, you know, Noah Juleson survives to play another day, at least uh, for this one. And we'll see how, how long Zadorov's out of the lineup. As we said, PDG, in a perfect world, Phil DiGiuseppe is a bottom six player. So it's not like they're going to miss him. And when... You know, I, I guess for me, I just like, you know, I feel for a guy when he's out like that, but I look at the New Jersey Devils and we talked about Siegenthaler, the latest now, like, again, it just underscores how lucky and I'll knock on wood for them with both hands. But uh, the fact that the top of the Canucks lineup has just been available every single night so far this season. Jeff, I'm going to hijack a take from a uh, Canucks Army commenter because this is when I was talking about Carson Susie, and I want to bring the conversation just a little bit back to him because, yeah. you know, Zadorov's not going to be out long. It doesn't seem like. It seems like just a day-to-day banged-up thing. Of course, we know that can mean anything with this team, but the way Tockett was speaking today was that Zadorov will be back eventually. And you brought up Noah Juleson, and I did the exercise of trying to figure out who's going to come out with a completely healthy blue line, and Noah Juleson's probably the obvious answer, but... I want to throw another name at you. And and this is, again, I'm hijacking this from a Canucks Army commenter, but I started to give it more thought, especially when I saw Noah Juleson play relatively well, you know, recently and tonight as well. Of course, I gave him the love on Twitter, as you mentioned. But what about Ian Cole? Like, giving Ian Cole a night off, 
on a road trip like this, where Zadorov comes back in, you stick with your lefties and righties, which we know is very important to Rick Tockett. I'm not saying Ian Cole is all of a sudden your, your regular healthy scratch because he's been phenomenal when he's been able to play those limited minutes, but... I'm just curious about if it's just going to be Juleson, if it's as, as simple as that. Like, I think I think the exercise deserves a little bit more thought than just, well, Juleson's the guy who probably should come out based on just what we've seen from all these guys all year long. But recently, I just like Juleson enough that I'm starting to wonder if it could be a guy like Ian Cole that comes out. Well, I'm glad you went down this road because uh, you're going to be really interested in Patterson's point uh, when it is uh, posted at Canucks Army on Sunday and will be there for uh, the enjoyment of all. Uh, my weekly Sunday column at Canucks Army is on that very topic and the idea of load management for Tyler Myers and Ian Cole. And do they mm. both have to play every single game the rest of the way when the Canucks are completely healthy? Now, injuries uh, can take this conversation somewhere else, but if they have the luxury of seven healthy defensemen that they like and trust, I would suggest, I don't want to give away the column, but again, load management, it's been accepted in other sports, but for whatever reason, hockey's slow to come around. Uh, but I just think there's an opportunity here for the Vancouver Canucks. So I'll expand on that uh, in my Sunday column, but I, I think you're barking up the right tree, quite frankly. So, uh, uh, yeah, we'll see if uh, the Canucks, they listened about the lotto line. Maybe they'll listen about <laughs> uh, some load, load management as well. Uh, I want to get to the stat that stands out uh, because uh, anytime the Canucks face the Devils, it, it's just, it's incredible how New Jersey has owned the Vancouver Canucks really for the better part of a decade. But the Canucks rise up. And they get just their second win in 17 tries against the New Jersey Devils and their first regulation win at the Rock since 2012. So it's been more than a decade since they had won in regulation. They had a shootout win. The Canucks, uh, they showed a highlight of Mike Santarelli scoring a, a shootout goal uh, on the broadcast tonight. But uh, yes, the Canucks were 1-11-4 in their previous 16 against the Devils. Again, this isn't the New Jersey Devils of Scott Niedermeyer and Scott Stevens and Marty Brodeur and Patrick Eliash. They haven't been very good for the last decade, and for whatever reason, they have absolutely owned the Canucks. So a little measure of revenge for Quinn Hughes. He, I'm sure he would love to have seen Jack. He wants to see him. probably saw him, but I'm sure he would love to have seen him on action and wants him to get back there. But in his absence, I, I thought Quinn Hughes uh, was terrific. And at one point in this game, talk about stats that stand out, I was trying to monitor it sort of in running in real time, but midway through the hockey game, Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronik is a pair. The shot attempts at even strength were 20 to nothing. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's that, that, those are video game numbers. That's those a stat are video that stands game out. Numbers. Yeah. <laughs> so they're done with the Devils. They get the series sweep. They were fun. Both games, 6-5 and 6-4. Lots of goals. Uh, remember the Canucks had the big comeback at home. Devils thought maybe they were going to have the big comeback on their home ice, but ultimately the Canucks win it by a score of 6-4. Let's get to some listener feedback here as we go to our social channels at rink-wide van. A lot of people questioning Thatcher Demko as we did. The Mighty Quinn says, goalies often struggle when they spend the first half of the game standing and watching. I mean, I think there is an element of that, but Thatcher Demko well compensated to keep his head in the game and make the saves that he's supposed to. Ultimately, uh, I'm not sure that you can say that he did, but he delivers the win his 100th in the NHL. This one, Devils Hughes should have had a embellishment penalty. That was a 10 out of 10 dive. Other than that, the game was really entertaining. That would have been a turn of events if uh, that had taken the Devils off the power play. Instead, the ref said, hey, 
This is a good game. <laughs> Just play on. Uh, keep her going. The G-Man says, thought all four lines played well together. And, and we talked about that, that uh, the fourth line had its issues, but uh, certainly the three lines above them, everybody seemed to be in lockstep and pushing the issue and creating uh, an awful lot. Travis says, the lotto line was sick. Not Demko's best game, but... We broke the New Jersey curse, and that's what we just talked about. Uh, Long time coming, first win in nine tries at the Prudential Center for the Vancouver Canucks. All right, appreciate all the feedback. Uh, We always dip in uh, on every podcast here after uh, each and every Canuck game, so we'll do it again on Monday when the Canucks take on the New York Rangers at Madison Square Garden. The Rangers falling 4-3 in a shootout in Montreal And so uh, they get a single point. They don't get the two. I'm sure they won't be thrilled about that. So you'll probably see a hungry and motivated Rangers team that uh, is among the best in the National Hockey League. They've already beaten the Canucks once in overtime at Rogers Arena in a wildly entertaining game way back in October. Uh, All I remember about that game, not all that I remember, uh, but the fact that the Rangers scored a pair of five-on-three goals and then... Uh, in overtime, Elias Pettersson thought that uh, he was wrong. Chris Kreider goes the other way, and Keandre Miller uh, ends up winning it for the Rangers. So the New York Rangers are one of the top teams in the National Hockey League right there, uh, in fact, with their single point in Montreal, tied with the Winnipeg Jets, both of them at 54 points, the Canucks sitting at 53. So, Dave, we got ourselves a, a heavyweight showdown on Monday at MSG. I was just looking at the Rangers record, and I'm like poking around at some Rangers stats, kind of doing a little bit of game prep for Monday, obviously. Rangers have one loss in extra time this year. Like like one loss prior to tonight. This is their second one tonight, I think. That is a crazy stat to me that, you know, as much as we talk about the Canucks and their regulation wins all season long, I, I did not realize that the Rangers had just one OT loss, extra time loss uh, this season. And yeah, they're a good team. They're a good team, Jeff. And look, they're going to be hungry and motivated. You don't lose to the Montreal Canadiens and come back home and be like, well, we're going to be just fine. They're, they're going to be hungry. They're going to be motivated. And hey, it's honestly like, don't want to do too much of a game preview on this show. But tonight, we saw the Canucks able to use their lotto line. And you would think, okay, you don't want to change up a winning lineup. But I wonder with a team that has a little bit more depth than the Devils do in the form of the Rangers, I, I don't anticipate the Canucks will go away from this lineup that they went with. But I do think you're going to need the P.S. Suter, Ilya Mikheyev, Andre Kuzmenko line to be a little bit sharper. And again, the Canucks don't control the matchups much uh, when they're on the road, obviously. And tonight, like the third line was playing against bottom six lines for the most part. And I think what you want to see, obviously, aside from the fourth line improving, is also you need that second line to be on against a team like the Rangers if you're going to load up the top of your lineup with the lotto line. Obviously, they're going to get the main matchup, and they're going to have to win that matchup. It's not going to be as easy as it was tonight against the Rangers, but that's just what I kind of look at is how is this roster, as it's currently constructed in this lineup as they used it tonight, how is it going to fare against these top teams? That's something that I'm curious to see. Well, a couple of things about the Rangers. One, you know, they don't lose in overtime much because they've got game breakers, right? Panarin, Zibanejad, Kreider, uh, Adam Fox on the back end. They beat the Canucks in overtime. They're 26-10-2. and two. That gets them to their 54 points. And part of that is their home ice record of 13-5. and five. So they have been lights out good at Madison Square. And that's going to be a challenge for the Vancouver Canucks. Now, something that could help the Canucks would be power play opportunities. We've kind of been bashing the power play a little bit for its lack of productivity and its lack of finish, but hard to finish when you get one power play in three consecutive games. They got one early in this hockey game, and I thought, okay, now they're going to get to go to work with man advantage, and we'll start to see their power play 
but that was it. So only the one penalty in the hockey game for the New Jersey Devils. And, you know, is this, you know, I, I think the other night in St. Louis, Canucks didn't do a lot to force the issue. Like, I, I didn't really have an issue with the, the fact that they didn't get a lot of power plays because I didn't think they did the things you have to. But this was a wide open game, 42 shots for the Canucks. The pressure that we talked about, were there missed calls? Yeah, probably. There's always some missed calls. But, you know, the other thing there is when the power play doesn't get many chances, you know, it, it can build up a little bit of rush. It, it can kind of get out of sync. Not that it wasn't already out of sync a little bit, but scored against the Senators. Patterson goal that deflected in off Jake Sanderson. The last two, they have not capitalized. And, you know, against the Rangers, if you get power plays, uh, you'd like to think that uh, you could put the hammer down a little bit there. And, and so we'll see. But something certainly I'm monitoring is the fact that just uh, for whatever reason, three games and just the three power plays right now. And if you recall, Jeff, the last time these two teams faced off, it came down to special teams. You pointed yes, out, obviously, did. the five-on-threes, yeah. but the Canucks score all of their goals at five-on-five in that game. And hey, that's that's not going to be a recipe for success uh, against this Rangers team. Like, we know that. We know that that's going to be the case. So, hey, like, we, we were just talking about how great they were at five-on-five in this game, but... Look, they, they didn't score last time against the Rangers either when it came to the power play. So that's something that I'm going to be looking for because let's be honest, this Rangers power play is very, very good. As I already alluded to, the whole team is going to be very hungry and that you said it. They've got game breakers like they've got those guys at the top of their lineup that are going to be absolutely bringing it. So the special teams battle is certainly something I'll be watching for uh, on Monday night. Yeah, Panera run up to 24 goals, 53 points. Chris Kreider with 20, and nine of those have come on the power play. And then you get Zibanejad. You got Trocek's having a nice season there. Adam Fox. Uh, and on and on it goes. And uh, and then, of course, you always have to have your head on a swivel when Jacob Truba's on patrol. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, again, I mean, the Canucks have put themselves in the discussion of, you know, the top teams in the National Hockey League. I think for 45 minutes, they looked the part here against the New Jersey Devils and then ultimately had to kind of hold their breath and <laughs> they get it done. 6-4, the final. Lots of ground covered here, Dave. That was a fun episode. Uh, and again, I, I we'll see what uh, the rest of the road trip brings for the Canucks. They're now 1-1 one one on the road trip. Two down and five still to go. For David Quadrelli, uh, this is Jeff Patterson. Thanks so much for spending a little time with us here on Rinkwide Vancouver.